This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Have you heard about the current monkeypox outbreak? Today we'll hear from a community health nurse about the investigation of new diseases like monkeypox. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy. And I'm Ryan Larson. Together we will explore nursing careers and professional insights. With exclusive interviews for nurses working jobs that you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Today, we'll hear from Lorraine Hovey about community health nursing and her research with the current monkeypox outbreak. We'll also learn from Mary Harris, the AAPP Director of Professional Development and Education. She explains the benefits of being licensed as an advanced practice provider. Let's get started. All right, so today we have with us Lorraine Hovey. She is a community health nurse. Um, Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, So I wanted to start off by asking um, a little bit about your background and why you decided to become a nurse in the first place. Oh, I'd love to tell you that. So when I was seven or eight years old, I don't remember exactly how old, um, I was on a camping trip with some of our extended family. And I have two aunts that are nurses. And I remember sitting by the fire at the campsite, listening to them tell all their nursing stories. And I remember thinking, this is the most fascinating thing I have ever heard. And I remember my my cousins calling me to come play with them or, you know, do something with them and thinking, oh, no, I've, I, I just want to sit here and listen to Aunt Donna and Aunt Dot talk about being nurses. Um, in high school, I did a little bit of what they used to call candy striping or volunteering at the hospital. And then um, then I went on and knew what I wanted to do. And and two weeks after high school started at Rick's College. Um, so did you um, did you immediately start working um, as a community health nurse or what what did you do immediately after graduation? So I worked the float pool at at Logan Hospital. So I had that great foundation of all different areas. I don't think I mentioned pediatrics. I I did quite a bit in the pediatric unit um, on the night shift too there. And then I had enjoyed that so much when I moved to Provo to finish, to complete the bachelor's degree. I um, worked night shift at Utah Valley on a post-surgical floor. So that was the type of nursing that I did until, um, let's say I did that for about almost five years. And then I decided to serve a mission. And my mission call was to be a mission nurse in the Dominican Republic. And this really was, I think, I kind of look at it as my first real glimpse into um, community health care. Um, my responsibility was to work with the missionaries, teach them and help them to be healthy in an environment that they weren't necessarily familiar with if they were from the United States. And if they were natives of the Dominican Republic, the challenge then for them was more um, 
they didn't have to get used to the food or the water, but they had to get used to a very different schedule. And many of them have long had um, health problems that had never been addressed and trying to figure out how to keep those health problems from um, stopping their opportunity to serve a mission was a part of my challenges there. So then it was after my mission that I actually um, started working as a as a community health nurse. Um, can you kind of explain what a community health nurse does and, wh- and what that is? Yes, I'd love to. A huge part of community health is prevention and education. And so prevention could be anything about um, a person's health and the, the community that they live in. So I, I kind of think of it as when I was working um, as a hospital nurse, as a, a direct patient care nurse, then I was focused on those immediate problems that the patient was facing and how to help them so that they could be well enough to go home. But as a community health nurse, you're focused more on what's happening daily in a person's life, in their environment, um, to try to help protect them from illness. So then we think of um, encouraging prenatal care. There's programs for prenatal care. There's um, programs for vaccination, of course. And then health education in schools comes into play. Um, Some counties have the um, school nurses a part of their district or of their health district. Others have it as part of their school district. Um, then there's always the environmental health and the communicable disease and epidemiology area. And that's where I work right now is in the communicable disease and epidemiology area. And so a lot of what we do is um, we receive reports on communicable diseases from labs or hospitals. There's certain communicable diseases that are absolutely required by law to be reported. And those have to be followed up on to find out whether there's an outbreak or a threat to the community from those illnesses. So um, right now I do a lot of investigation on sexually transmitted infections. So the positive tests for chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV, come to the health department and then we contact the person and um, find out if they've been able to be treated, um, what their resources are, and um, education on prevention um, comes into play there. And then, of course, helping them to stop the um, communication of that illness to anyone else. So that means encouraging them to talk with their contacts, um, their their partners, and um, help them to get into treatment and explaining how to stop the transmission of these illnesses and what they can do to protect themselves and those that they love. So that's one aspect of communicable diseases. There's also the enteric illnesses like um, Shigella and Salmonella. We call and investigate on those and try to find out. We get a a food history and um, restaurant, grocery store, shopping type history. Um, um, The biggest thing that people are probably aware of right now is like the public health response to COVID. 
that was very important. And that's how I got back into, I took a a 22 year break from public health while I raised my children. And um, when COVID started and I found out they were looking for people to nurses to help investigate um, and, and work with education for COVID and prevention, then I went back to work. And so at first what I was doing was calling and finding out anyone that was positive, you know, we'd get all the positive results. And I'm sure all of you can relate to having a call from the health department to say, oh, you need to isolate or quarantine or um, do what you can to prevent the spread to other people. And then, of course, I've helped with the COVID vaccine um, process. Our county had an incredible um, response to to immunizing for COVID. So what they did was they worked with the other, the health department worked with the other um, disciplines in the county and the other businesses and and um, developed a drive-through clinic that was very, very effective. And it was super fun. It was one of the times that I would think nursing can be so much fun because a lot of the people that came to our drive-through clinic we're so excited to talk to people again. It was a lot of elderly people in the beginning, and they were so excited to be out and talk to us. Um, it was just, a, it was a delight. That's awesome. Um, I So we talked about um, COVID, which a lot of people are aware of, but what's a community health concern that you're seeing that maybe a lot of people don't know about or it's not on their radar? Oh, that's a great question. So. Right now, um, what we're dealing with, to some degree, it's not as overwhelming as COVID was, but it really is um, kind of a fascinating experience to see how monkeypox has um, affected the world, our communities, um, individuals. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first read something about it last spring, and I thought, you know, I remember hearing about monkeypox before, but it was just just a brief little statement. It was confined to Africa. And so I thought, I can't imagine that that's going to affect us. And I think that's probably a pretty common response that most people had to monkeypox. But in reality, it has been, had quite an effect. And what we've seen um, from the public health uh, point of view was something that I really hadn't, um, I don't think I had experienced before. And that was, uh, or at least to this degree, um, that was seeing an illness come um, into the community that providers had no experience with. And the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, and the World Health Organization really couldn't prepare us for very yeah. much. Yeah. COVID was like that to some degree, but I don't think we've got as many surprises about COVID as we have about monkeypox. So, so when monkeypox, so when we started to get our first cases, um, we were actually calling providers and explaining to them how to test people, encouraging them to test people, and um, explaining to them how to care for them. There were um, 
side effects and symptoms of monkeypox that no one expected. I remember reading the first bulletin that that told about um, monkeypox. People would have the pox and they showed a few pictures of them, the lesions that they would have. And they talked about having swollen lymph glands and fever. And I would think, well, that sounds like the the lesions are the hardest part about this. They, they're sore and and an achy, but I thought, okay, that, that doesn't sound too bad. But one of the first people that we encountered with it dealt with symptoms that no one expected, and that was proctitis. They had incredible pain, rectal pain and um, pain in, in their genitals and inability to void. They had to have catheters and, and about a a 20 to 25% um, of the victims or, or the, the people that, that got monkeypox experienced that. And no one, no one was prepared for that. And there's not a whole lot you can do to change that except for support someone through, through that illness. And so that, that is what we're dealing with currently. We're really doing a lot of immunizing and that's been fascinating too because they were able to determine that um, a smaller dose of the monkeypox smallpox vaccine could be used um, to to help control the spread of monkeypox even though it wouldn't give as long term of an effect so it's been very fascinating that way um, what would you what would you say makes your job rewarding for you? You know, I love to talk with people, find out what their experiences are, what their challenges are, and try to help provide education and resources for them. Um, a lot of the people that I talk to on the phone just really are surprised when they know someone cares. That someone's interested that that there's that there are resources to help them. I, I enjoy that a lot. And I enjoy working with um a lot of different cultures. That has been very, very fun. And and um I I think I've learned to enjoy the differences in people and the richness that comes into our lives by by experiencing and, and hearing about other people's um, lives and their needs and their, their concerns. If, if there's a nursing student who's um, thinking about going into community health and becoming a community health nurse, um, are there some things that they should be doing now or some things they should be getting involved with that you can think of? Yes, I have really strong feelings about that. I, I feel like some of the, the things that helped me the most to become a community health nurse um, were the things that I learned as, as a young nurse in those first few years out of nursing school. The foundation that I feel like Heavenly Father blessed me to have in learning to assess patients in, in many different um, areas, the postpartum, the post-surgical, um, the pediatric patients, the, um, the med surge, the ICU patients. I, I feel like 
those assessment skills and the ability to communicate with the other members of our team, the respiratory therapists, the physicians, the other nurses, um, everyone that that makes up that community of a hospital that you that a nurse can learn to develop the ability to communicate with and also to communicate with family members. I feel like that is is very important that the foundation of just a good med surge um, several several years of that is huge um, because it solidifies your assessment skills. It helps you to learn about medications. It helps you to learn about side effects of different illnesses. But it also, if you're interacting with the patient and the family at all, you're learning how important education is and um, assessing for the needs that a patient may have socially and emotionally and physically when they go home. Yeah, I can imagine that um, being in a position where you're you know, you have to get a lot of or obtain a lot of sensitive information from someone and also educating them requires a lot of really good interpersonal skills. Yes, it does. You're right. Um, and then I, I ask everyone this question, but uh, what does the healer's art mean to you? The meaning of the healer's art to me has changed. Over time, as a nurse, I recognize that a nurse gets wounded in the process sometimes. Some of the first things I saw um, as a nurse were um, the children that were injured in um, a bombing that happened in Cokeville, Wyoming. And that was horrifying to me, absolutely horrifying. Now, I've had other experiences that weren't so dramatic, but but there's things about um, watching people suffer and trying to deal with their challenges in life that that are wounding and that are difficult to handle um, emotionally as as a nurse. When I think of the the healer, I I think of the savior, and I think I used to think, oh, he was able to take their problem. You know, he performed a miracle, and it it took their problem away. Well, I've come to realize that no, he he healed them, but then they continued on in their lives with challenges, and they needed more than just that immediate need taken care of. They needed what the Savior had to offer them as the gospel, and of course, um, ultimately his atonement to to help them through life. I think now I feel like part of what I understand about the healing healer's art is knowing that I can't take away people's challenges. And really, I don't want to deprive people of the opportunity of growth during challenges and that the role is to support and help so that they can ultimately grow through a painful experience, whether it's physical or mental. Um and I think the healers are art is is showing compassion. Yeah, I, I think that's a really profound principle of, um, you know, relying on the Lord when you're um, when you are injured, when you are hurt. Um, well, thank you so much for for coming on our show and for um, talking to us about community health nursing. 
Oh, you are welcome. I am happy to do that. As a reminder, BYU nursing students are responsible for updating their university contact information within their MyBYU account each semester. This includes making sure you have a correct phone number, an email address you check often, a valid mailing address, and, should you get married, a constant last name that matches your student ID and clinical badges. Thanks. All right, so today on the show, we have Mary Harris with us. Um, Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, First, I want to ask you to just tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am a nurse practitioner. I have lived in Salt Lake City since 2003. I've been a nurse practitioner since the year 2000. I went to a graduate school at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. And I've had various clinical roles during my career, including emergency medicine, trauma critical care. And now I work with a group of urology uh, providers at Intermountain Medical Center in Salt Lake City. Awesome. Um, So tell me a little bit about APP and what that is. Sure. APP is a national term um, and a lot of growing healthcare organizations are using the term. It stands for advanced practice provider or advanced uh, practitioner, practice practitioner, depending on who's terming it. And it's used to um, include all of the professions such as nurse practitioner, physician assistant, certified nurse midwife, um, CRNA. So many of the um, advanced degree positions we like to include in one term and it makes it easy for us to uh, develop our roles and just to refer to each other amongst professional organizations. So for someone to become an APP, is that, um, is it a certification? Um, It is a board certification. The uh, typical two um, different routes are a nurse practitioner, which you would graduate from nursing school with a bachelor's degree and get get accepted into a postgraduate program to get the master's degree. Um, and a lot of programs are requiring the doctorate degree for a nurse practitioner. For the physician assistant program, it's uh, similar um, graduating in a, a bachelor degree, um, usually background of science, but it doesn't always have to be And having some access or interest in the medical field and then applying to the graduate programs um, that are master's degree physician assistant. So kind of two pathways, two main pathways, and there's differing sub, there's differing specialties beyond that. Why APP now? Like what about healthcare is motivating this extra accreditation? Oh, that's a great question. And I think that it is um, a natural advancement in somebody's career if they wanted to um, move on. And I think there's tons, there's a lot of opportunity with, you know, salary advancement, uh, being able to grow in leadership uh, directions. There's uh, 
so, so many things going on nationally and even internationally. A lot of my colleagues are getting involved in traveling to other countries to show them the models that we've created in the United States to enhance nurse practitioner and physician assistant roles. So I think the answer to why now is why not now? It's it, there's rich opportunity and it's only going to get uh, more abundant as time passes. Um, and then I also wanted to ask, um, as the director of APP, how did you how did you do that? How did you go from um, nursing or working as a nurse into this leadership position? Sure. Just a point of clarification. I am not the APP exec director for Intermountain, but I do report directly to our interim role there. Um, my leadership, I have a couple leadership roles. The uh, title I carry now is the APP Director for Professional Development and Education. And um, I guess the way I got into that is probably similar to anyone else's leadership journey is that I saw um, uh, my interest early on, like really early into my practice, probably two to three years that I wanted to contribute in other ways um, in addition to the bedside and started volunteering and then taking formal positions on committees and process improvement projects, um, offering to uh, shadow some some of the larger committees within our organization. And then, um, you know, when I knew that I wanted to be on this path, I, I asked somebody to mentor me. So I asked a well-respected leader to mentor me into uh, these other leadership positions. Um, and then what advice do you have for um, maybe RNs or NPs who are um, thinking about getting into leadership positions? Yeah, I would say, first of all, be curious and don't be afraid to ask questions and jump in and um, you know, volunteer to take on some some of the interesting projects that are out there. I think you know many hands make light work. We've seen lots of things had to come together for our communities to treat uh, everyone during the pandemic we just had. So I would say number one, be curious and uh, not afraid to jump in and and just start working on things. And then the second thing I would say is to uh, be a team player. None of this happens in silos. Physicians don't just work with physicians. NPs don't just work with NPs. RNs don't just work with RNs. So it takes a full team to develop not only really great uh, initiatives led by leadership, but it takes very, very intact teams to deliver excellent bedside care that really is not just for the patients themselves, but for everyone on the team so that they have a good experience in doing so. Yeah, for sure. And I um, I feel like we're always trying to encourage our nurses to consider getting um, more involved in leadership positions and different areas because um, having insight from a lot of different places really makes things better and work smoother. Um, and then I wanted to ask, so is getting licensed as um, an advanced practice um, provider, 
um, or certified, is that different by state or is it the same across the board? This is a really good question and um, something that is very confusing to many people. So maybe I can um, <laughs> lay it out a little bit. When you're done with your program, so you finish the school, whether you're a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner, um, whatever it is, you have to take national board certification. So I took my boards through the ANCC. So I'm a family nurse practitioner board certified nationally. So now that's great. I want now say I want a job as a nurse practitioner at a hospital in Utah. What that requires is I need to apply to the state of Utah to the Division of Occupational Licensing and I have to get licensed through the state. So I have a, a national certification and a state license. Further than that, the organization that you, that you work for may also require processes called credentialing and privileging. And those vary by organization and may require other documents to be um, required like a DEA license or if you're working in a specialized field maybe there's a specialized say like cardiology certification that is needed so national certification state licensing and usually organizations uh, take um, providers through credentialing and privileging I hope that is not just a bunch of word salad yeah <laughs> um um I I also wanted to ask um, if you have more insights about APP that you would like to share with our listeners that you haven't. Yeah, um, I would say that it is a growing needed medical profession and our physician colleagues, nursing colleagues, and all of our team members that help us take care of patients and move healthcare um, in a visionary way, uh, we're, we're a growing needed population and there's many organizations that are developing and have good support for APP leaders and just, you know, individual APP groups. And I would say getting involved in some of those locally and nationally, I mean, just starting small, joining our, our local Utah groups will give opportunity to start networking. And really, it, it, it is the sky's the limit. I don't think that uh, there's going to be lack of opportunity uh, for any of us. I think there's going to be uh, an abundance of opportunity. And I think it's really exciting to see. So um, if students are wanting to get involved in like those local Utah groups, um, what's a way they can do that or to learn more? Um, well, the easiest way is probably Google. So just Googling Utah nurse practitioner or Utah physician assistant um, and joining. So that, you know, they publish newsletters and you can be as involved or not involved as, as you want in the beginning, but they do have a lot of great resources for students as well. So I know that when I was starting, I went to our you know, state groups uh, quite often to answer some questions and to seek um, advice and get um, mentorship. 
Awesome. Well, Mary, those are all of my questions for you today. Um, thank you so much for being on our show. You're welcome. Thank you so much. This was great. Wow, Liza, I find that fascinating. The interview you did with Lorene Hovey and her work that she's doing with monkeypox was fascinating. While I'm sick, like most people are talking about the pandemic, I'm also really grateful for the nurses and public health individuals who uh, come together to start dotting the I's and crossing the T's and realizing there's patterns involved with what type of symptoms are presenting and if there's a new disease that's that's manifesting itself. Yeah, I, I can't imagine being a physician and um, seeing a unique symptom in your patient and not knowing what it is and, you know, finding out later, oh, that's a monkeypox symptom. It's it's really it's a difficult thing for um, a new disease to be presenting itself in different ways. But I, I also think it's really interesting when we, we learn more about diseases that way. Um, I also really liked uh, my interview with Mary Harris. I think it's it's way more clear to me and I, I hope to our nursing students who are listening um, what it means to be an advanced practice provider. Um, I think there's kind of there's so many terms and some of them intersect and um, it's difficult to know exactly what all of them mean and keep track of them. So um, it's a lot more clear to me. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think there are probably more acronyms and accreditations in the healthcare world than there really are positions available to nurses out there, which is quite impressive. No, I know. Um, I Googled APP and like three different things like APP nursing and three different things came up like it's a the acronym has been used before, so it can be confusing. So yeah. I'm glad we sorted that out. No, me too. So it's a good reminder for nurses just to kind of keep their mind open. And before they decide to go get accreditations of some specific type of accreditation, they should really do their homework to find out if it's worth being accredited in that way. So well, that's all we have for you guys this week. We're super excited and glad that you guys joined us. Make sure you tune in next week where we have another amazing episode for you. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next week.